Welcome to It's a Nice Place to Brew with Jason and George, a show about all things beer and beer making. Gentlemen, please broadcast responsibly. Yep, we'll get started. And then something will happen. <laughs> you got to give me a hint so I know how to tee this up. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Okay. <laughs> this this is making my job as a <laughs> orchestrator of this surprisingly challenging. I'll do what I can, though. Okay. Welcome to It's a Nice Place to Brew with Jason and George, a t- show about all things beer and beer making. Gentlemen, please. Blur. 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 <laughs> I'm so leading with this, too. Gentlemen, please blur, broadcast responsibly. <laughs> Hello. Yes. Welcome. welcome. Welcome to A Nice Place to Brew. I'm Jason. I'm George. And we are A Nice Place to Brew. At the time of this recording, it is a Saturday in March of 2016. And we just got done. Almost. M- almost March. <laughs> Why does it feel like it was March? <laughs> it's okay. Aye. We're almost there, and it is. It is granted it, the temperature outside is a is a mid fifties, and it feels very spring like. So it it is, it, and you know what? I, I my brain is has already moved forward to March just because we were looking at our calendar just right before we uh, turned the microphones on, and it is just amazing how much how much we have going on in March. We do the next competition, next uh, next brews. Uh, next comp, uh, well, competitions, brews, and uh, group, group projects and podcasts. Of course, yeah, there is a absolutely. there's a whole lot here in the pipeline. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a busy March for a nice place to brew. Anyways, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. This is episode twelve. Yeah, it is. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Does it feel like it's been twelve now? I feel, yeah. 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 I think I I think we're good and 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 I want to go on record as saying that. Uh, Part of the reason we haven't broadcast more is my fault, and so we're going to push through that this year, and hopefully we'll be able to be more consistent about it and reward you wonderful listeners with, um, you know, our glowing presence. Well, worry <laughs> not, my friends, because um, we're already well on our way. We, we are. just, uh, yeah, episode eleven just uh, just came up just within the last uh, week or so. This uh, this will be right behind it, and. We're we're on a good pace. We've uh, we've got some good momentum going, and with all the things that we're doing, and podcasting is right uh, right on the cusp of all of that. So we've got a lot of material to bring uh, bring to you. So hope uh, hope you stay with us to keep uh, keep in touch with us on social media, and uh, hope to hope to uh, hope to keep interacting with everybody. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited about it. The increased in frequency in our podcast, as well as our our new our new style format of uh, so you want to blank now what you know i i really think that you know we'll be able to have some good high quality shows for you guys and so i think at that point we're probably done plugging ourselves but just <laughs> i really do feel bad about last year so this year we're going to try to do better for you <laughs> we will for sure for sure anyways um i have the challenging position of trying to tee up what is somewhat not known to me <laughs> because we uh, at this time of the show we would normally go into segment number one, which is other brews reviewed, 
And George uh, just uh, came over to the house just within the pal- about the past hour or so, and we both had uh, talked and determined that our um, brews had recently had fallen a bit light. And we did have a couple of beers to talk about, and it was nothing of too great a significance, a little bit soft for what we would call a complete first segment. So George... Um, apparently had this planned ahead of time where Mm -hmm. he forced me to turn my head while he put something into my refrigerator, which he refused to tell me what. Yes, it's been driving him crazy for the past hour and a half. It has. Yeah, I know. So I have no idea what to do with this or how to to tee this up for the show. But um, we are not going to do other brews reviewed today. We are going to uh, have a special first segment of which I can't even say because I, apparently I need to see uh, see what we have going first. All right, so here's what's going on. We have been brewing for about a year and a half now. When we started to go into oh, uh, all-grain beer, um, I, unfortunately, too late uh, for one of them, saw that we might want to catalog. We might want to age, and we might want to see how things develop. So what I did, unbeknownst to Jason, was I squirreled away one bottle from each of our home brews from last year that where we did bottle conditioning. And so today I have brought one from February of last year and March of last year for us to sample on the show and see how they <laughs> developed. February of last year, if you guys recall, is when we brewed the Emmett's Red Ale clone. And March of last year is when we we did our first attempt at a IPA. And so I have brought a bottle of each of those today for us to sample on air and see how they developed. <laughs> this is fantastic. So looking back 12 months on, uh, on today's show. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm hearing it for the first time as as well as uh, as well as you folks. And now I'm I'm really excited because I, I remember these these two brew days very very well. These were a uh, couple of the first ones we did. It was a uh, winter season. It were they were both very cold days out in Georgia's backyard at the time. Very cold days. Yeah, I believe one of those we had a uh, had the rain cover on if I remember correctly. I think we did. I think it was uh, kind of raining. Oh, it looks like carbonation has stuck around on yeah. our red ale. Now we were not kegging at this point. This was all candy sugar, and wow, that is that poured really smooth. It did. Wow. So you guys can't see it, but you know it's got a it, for you know especially for being a year old, it's got a really good head on it, and um, the color seems to have stayed. I'm seeing a, a little bit of those. Uh, Initial floaters from the yeast that got re-energized when we uh, um, put in the candy sugar. And I can tell that this is from about a year ago because our secondary and filtering techniques were not as developed as they are now. So it is a little bit more cloudy than our recent beers, but it looks to be about the same color and same... uh, style as it was a year ago this is about the this is a good time to plug our instagram page as well uh check us out on instagram at a nice place to brew i've taken pictures of uh of both the glasses that we just poured so ch- uh, check it out on there and uh feel free to leave us comments and we're gonna we'll keep the uh we'll keep the post coming as well yes absolutely all right now for the test 
okay, it has changed. It has changed. Yeah. It's mellowed out. Um, before, uh, the red ale was very hop forward in the, in the palate, and then it would disappear. I'm not sensing that as much anymore. The, the bitterness has definitely mellowed out um, quite a bit. It's still there. But it's definitely mellowed out. It's more noticeable on the back end. Now. Right, I, yeah. I remember it, the front end being much more um, hop forward. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but now that seems to have transferred, and it could be because those, you know, those resins and whatnot have um, developed in, in the, in the, in more, better incorporated in the, in the liquid. But right. It's definitely changed a little bit. You know, one of the things we were talking about earlier today, because um, in doing some research for today's show, I had um, I had written down a few lines on uh, on the topic of what, what's referred to as unfiltered beers. And all the beers that George and I have done thus far have been just that unfiltered because being not in a commercial setting, filtering is a bit a bit difficult, a, a yeah. bit a bit difficult for a for a homebrew setting to uh, to pull off. It requires some equipment we don't have right now. Right. That hopefully we'll be procuring sometime this year but that we don't have right now. One thing I think is probably safe to say about unfiltered beers is I think time is going to be far less friendly to an unfiltered beer than a filtered beer. It's possible. Yeah. I mean, I mean in an unfiltered beer, you're going to be filtering out 99.9 some odd percent of the yeast. Right. So you're not going to have much reaction in there. But you're also going to be, you know, basically stripping that away to bare liquid. So the what is left in there, it could um, there's I mean, there's a reason that the beers in commercial settings have a pretty significantly close uh, best buy date. You know, they're right. not designed to be held for a year like a wine would or anything like that. Right. What comes to mind, too, is at some of the homebrew clubs that, that we've attended over the past year, um, I remember specifically quite a few beers that have come out to the club, and the story behind them was they were brewed 12, 18, 24 months prior to that, mm-hmm. and a number of those time had not been friendly to. Time had not been friendly to a number of those, and a lot of those have been because of um, they've soured. Right, right, and um, so that's that's one thing I was a little worried about with these, but uh, you know, with the red, that I'm not t- detecting any notes of sourness. And I, I am think, too, and I'm really pleasantly surprised by that. Right, I, I, think, I, I mean, right when that bottle was opening, I had that fear in my head. It's like, oh man, if this goes sour, I'm really going to be disheartened. <laughs> no, 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 I, no, no. I mean, but it speaks well to our sanitation and everything. That, yes, that that didn't happen because you know that's that if you want to keep your beer for any significant amount of time you got to make sure your sanitation is on point because you're going to have those wild yeasts and wild bacterias going you know ape shit in the bottle if you don't and right, and right. That, over time that's going to build up more and more and that's going to sour a beer that's not intended to be sour right right exactly George George has his key out and the IPA is about to be broken open <laughs> Oh. And we got another clean opening. Okay, nice, satisfying Good. sound that hopefully got picked up by the mics. <laughs> All right, this so is also bringing back many of the battles that we had with the candy sugar back in 2015. Yes, and it's quite quite nice to see these bottles open without any kind of volcano effect. Yeah, I thought about that, um, but the, we only had one where we really had that problem in a, in a big way. And I did not bring that one, although I do 
Actually, we, we recently have had a couple bottles of those. That has stuck around quite a bit, the Apple Amber Ale. Yeah. Um, so that um, I did not bring a sample of. but So this was our first attempt at an IPA, and I think this recipe is online as well. Um, again, you, when you if you look at it, uh, very, very cloudy. Um, this pre- was pre-Whirlflock. Right. Yeah, right. so uh, very cloudy, but good... Uh, Head retention on that. Very. Yeah. And uh, the color is dark. The color is dark. The color was dark, though. It was. Yeah. It was. A little bit darker than a typical IPA that you would that you would order. Right. By no means a black IPA or anything like that, but right. definitely a little darker than a right. standard IPA. So let's, let's see if we can remember some of the numbers from this, too, because I remember, I, th- I think just about all the targets that we had for this beer, I think we were almost dead on. I think so, too. So I think... I, th- I know our original gravity was forecasted to be high. I want to say 1076. Right, because we went to a... We were trying to do a double IPA. Right. Remember, this was the biggest grain bill we had ever done. Right, right. Um, so we were trying to do a double IPA, and so I think it was in the 1070s, 1080s. Right. Um, and it came down to about 1010, 15. Okay. So it finished dry the way you'd want an IPA to be. Um, I remember we were off the target a little bit, a little low, but not too much. On the original? On the original. I think we were at about like 1075 and we were shooting for somewhere in the 1080s. Okay. Um, but yeah, brought that down and, and it uh, it ended pretty nicely. And I remember it being pretty good. I remember it being the IBUs somewhere in the mid 50s, I think. Okay. Yeah. Let's try this. Cheers. Cheers. Okay, that's that's also very different. Yes, it is. Okay, I do not remember that being malt forward like that. No, the hops have really been subsumed. In wow. This. Yeah, this is interesting how this is as, how this has developed. One would not call this an IPA right now. No, no, this is no longer an IPA. Right. I don't know. I don't know what to call this. I don't either. <laughs> it's not a bad taste. No, but there is definitely a little bit of uh, uh, diacinol in there. Just a little bit. You can taste that? I can, yeah. Okay. It's developed a little bit of uh, of that flavor, unfortunately. But Diacetyl, um, for uh, for the listeners that aren't familiar with uh, lagering, um, diacetyl is, is one of the key things that uh, that is managed around in the lagering process. Mm-hmm. And in in uh, after primary fermentation, there's a mandatory seven-day diacetyl rest where the uh, temperature of the beer is per, is risen mm-hmm. before going back down for secondary fermentation. Right. So, yeah. So, unfortunately, this one has been, over time, has kind of turned a little bit. But um, it's not the, it's, you know, it's, it hasn't gone sour. And it's not the, you know, the, the flavor has definitely changed that way. But, um, you know, it's, it's been an interesting development. Yeah, it's... Somewhat difficult to describe because I don't have don't have any like comparisons for it. No, the, I mean the hops are almost disappeared. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. There's a nice maltiness to it. I have to admit, I, I, I do kind of enjoy that. I do. It's not well. it's not the design of the beer, but it's kind of a nice no, byproduct. There, if you remember, there was a lot of hops in this one. And oh yeah, and was, I mean, being a uh, double IPA. Right, and and we actually dry hopped this one too. I think with Cascade, we did. Yeah. So um, there was a there was a decent amount of hops in there as well. Yeah, 
this is taking me back to that brew day as well because um, we remember the day before this brew day very well too because that turned into a very very long day at our uh, at our friends over at Chicago Brewworks. Oh, you're going to have to remind me. I'm, okay. for, I'm not remembering this. Okay, okay. Um, our, um, our occasional brew partner, Sid, was with us as well. Um, as George had, uh, had mentioned before, this was the largest grain bill that we had ever put together at the time because we were only doing five-gallon recipes. We've since moved on to 10, but this was still a five-gallon. Right. The, and the, um, the grain bill on this was, was very, very high. Right, almost, almost double right. what we usually did. So we uh, so we put everything together, paid for everything, and had plenty of time left in the day. So we uh, oh, went up to Lord. the bar. Yeah, now you know where I'm going <laughs> yeah, with this. It, it all comes <laughs> flooding back. Ex- exactly. Okay. So uh, we were fairly new to the crowd at Chicago Brew Works at this at this point. Um, so we we went uh, went up to the bar front that they have uh, that's in the same location as their store. And not being all that familiar with the beers that they were making at that point, all three of us stood up at the bar and asked for a flight, thinking we'd get a sample of three, four, maybe five glasses. Well, bartender (laughs) said, coming right up. And out come eight different glasses in front of each of us individually. Right. Because they had eight beers to sample, and George and me and Sid (laughs) sampled all eight of these Many of them very strong beers. Very, yes, quite. Yeah, I remember there was a couple stouts in there. A couple. I think there was a double IPA. There I mean, was a double IPA. There was, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was it was some strong stuff. And so we, you know, we got forty ounces of beer when we asked for a flight. Right. Yeah. In an early afternoon. Yeah, it was probably <laughs> two o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. yeah something like that. So that did turn into a lot. <laughs> it was, yeah, we were planning on being in and out at, at Brew Works, and it became quite uh, quite the day. I remember having to stop at a sandwich shop to uh, eat as much, as many carbs as we possibly could yep. to uh, try to soak up some of that alcohol. <laughs> that we did. That we did. And, you know, it, I mean, it turned into really a solid brew day. And this this really was one of the landmark beers that we made in 2015. Yeah, it's one that we definitely want to try again, try some different things with, right. uh, mess with the whole IPA style a little bit. Um, I've said recently that, you know, I'm kind of waiting for IPA, the IPA craze to give way to something else. But, you know, I think it's, there's a little bit of things we can do with this yet. For sure. Yeah. For sure. No, we did a small batch of this. We did a late, five gallon. Later in the year. Oh, yes. Later in the year. Yes. I think that was like a three gallon. It was. It was a very small batch. That was our reset batch. Remember? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, what month was that? I've, I'm drawing a blank I think on it was when like that was. March or May or something like that. I went, really? I went, no, it might have, it might yeah. have been later, like in the fall. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah it that's was what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah, but that was good too. It we was, had, yeah, it was. So. Yes, so those are the two IPAs, IPA batches that we've made. Yes, this one and then the smaller batch that we made later on. Correct. We've done good with this one. Yeah, yeah, and, and being we've we've said it before, and 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 I'll say it again, George and I both not being IPA guys, we like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I don't know so what that says it? about it being an IPA, but well, I, well, I mean, I, I guess uh, you know, for lack of a better uh, better way to describe it, it's an IPA for non IPA drinkers. There you go. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> okay, that's the, that's the tagline for it. <laughs> yeah. Done. 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 That was really fun. 
Well, that was really fun. George. Thank you so much. I, I now now I have to I have to put in my brain that you're keeping secrets from me because I just learned one today. I only <laughs> use my powers for good. That that you did. No, this wow. This was a great first segment. I really enjoyed this. I hope I hope the listeners did as well. Um, okay, we're gonna segue to our. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break and uh, segue into our second segment. Um, we're gonna talk about two different batches of beer that uh, George and I have made over the past month month and a half yeah um the first one being a scotch ale which is a new style for us uh and the next one would be a classic uh sweet stout so stay with us Welcome back. <laughs> this is a nice place to brew. I'm Jason. I'm George. And we are talking Scotch Ale. We're going into segment two. We're going to talk about two different recipes that we recently have made. And we're going to start off with a Scotch Ale. This is a new style for both of us. This is, uh, We did not do a, a Scotch Ale of any form in 2015. So uh, this is a style that we both uh, enjoy. From uh, If you listen to episode 11, we talked about... Uh, Talked a little bit about Scotch ales during other brews reviewed, and we talked about just kind of the common threads that you see among many Scotch ales. Uh, one of which is the alcohol by volume is typically high, um, usually between seven to nine percent, maybe even higher. Yeah, uh, sometimes uh, sometimes a little bit higher. Um, usually doesn't get much more than that because then it becomes too alcohol forward. But true. True. You know, you're you're usually looking at around eight nine percent. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, also, there's a sweetness to it. So for uh, for a home brewer, I guess the application with that is your grain bill on this is going to be very high. Um, your uh, your original gravity that you're going to aim for is going to be high as well, and being that there has to be a sweetness factor with it as well, your final gravity is is still going to be relatively high as well. So there's a lot of there's a lot of factors with it, but if you do it right, you know the, uh, a st- Scotch ale can be very sweet and very enjoyable, as we hope uh, ours will be. We just moved it into a keg just uh, prior to the recording of this show, and uh, we'll look forward to trying that for the first time in the not so distant future. Yeah. All right. So, looking at the BJCP guidelines for a strong Scotch ale that we made, uh, your original gravity, you're looking between 1070 and 1130. Um, so, 1130 would be on the way high side. For sure. Your final gravity, like like you said, you're looking at the, uh, you're looking a little bit of sweeter forward type beer. Uh, so, the low end, you're looking at 1018 and the high end, 1056. Could you imagine a beer stopping at 1056? 1056. That's a lot of sugar still That's in there. That's a lot of sugar still in there. That's a lot of unfermentable sugars. Low IBUs on these guys. You're looking at 17 to 35 IBUs. Okay, so, so not for your IPA drinkers. Not for your IPA drinkers. This is going to be a very malt forward beer. Yes. Uh, your color, you're looking at 14 to 25. So a little bit lighter, but definitely notes of cherry and uh, uh, as far as color, uh, cherry and um, kind of burnished um, bronze kind of color. Right, right. Uh, your alcohol by volume, which is can vary quite a bit from a 6.5 to a 10%. Ours came out to a little, um, to uh, just under 7%. 
Um, we're higher than that. Are we higher than that? Okay. Our original gravity was 1082. Uh-huh. Um, off a target of uh, 1072. So we came, so oh, we came out okay. so we came out even higher than what we had yes, forecasted. Yes, you're right. Okay. Let's back up one uh, uh, one step real quick. Uh, we'll talk about uh, talk about the recipe itself. Uh, sure. we, we went very grain heavy with this beer as as the uh, as the style calls for it. It's very malt forward as George had mentioned uh, mentioned a minute ago. We have six different malts that made up uh, made up the recipe here. For the base malt, we did use 12 pounds of Maris Otter. That's kind of our go-to base grain. And we had a combination of Munich malt, honey malt, Cara 45, caramel, and chocolate malt that made up the rest of the grain bill. That's a lot of grains. That is a lot of grains. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, the target, again, was uh, uh, was an original gravity of 1072. And... Um, from uh, from listening to previous shows, one one of the common uh, one of the common threads and uh, of of uh, one of the challenges that we had in 2015, and one and a big thing that we wanted to improve on, which we did in the later half of the year, and we've gotten better with in 2016 as well, was our mash efficiency mm-hmm. and measuring our temperatures better and. Um, just being more efficient about uh, extracting the sugars and getting temperatures accurate. Yeah. it's And it's a challenge. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah. And I guess we'll segue into kind of uh, one of the things that we did to uh, to do that better. Um, this is going to sound very elementary, but I think it's uh, I think its importance is 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 greater than one would initially think of. Um, there's hundred and one ways to measure the temperature of water it's pretty basic you throw a thermometer in water and you know just kind of you know see where it goes for the most part <laughs> pretty much yeah <laughs> but there's there's better ways to do it because you have heating elements around you have absorption rates there's there's multiple factors that are going to affect the temperature of your water that's going to make up your mash right so what we had mistakenly done for parts of 2015 is we had uh, we had mash temperatures that were higher than they should have been, and as a result, um, those higher water temperatures had negatively affected our mashes to the point where we're not extracting the appropriate levels of sugar, and as a result, our original gravities had suffered. That's what hap- that, that's what yeah. happens fundamentally when your when your temperatures of your water are off. Yes, absolutely. Right. Um, temperature of water is a big factor in that. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and the reason that I bring this up was because I think I think this was um, I think this is a good example of our refined process, and as a result, we showed better efficiency and better numbers as a result. Yes, we did. Um, there, there was one of the things we have to mention though is that there was a little less water in this than there should have been. Uh, there was a step um, that. We had skipped over accidentally, right? Uh, that reduced our total amount of liquid by about a gallon. So that, um, you know, the you know the way sugars concentrate, you know, the less water you have, the more concentrated you're going to be, right? So that that would affect our efficiency as well. But even factoring that in um, and doing the calculations on it, we were still above the efficiency then that our recipe called for right so and it, that's something to be proud of and that's yeah. a that's a difficult thing to uh, to achieve in a in a regular homebrew setting which most of us are 
but uh, we did and as a result we have a very strong original gravity and what we think is a very strong beer as a, as a result. I just did the calculation on it so we were at 1083 took it down to 1020 so that ends up at an 8.3% beer. Right. So our target for our recipe was 6.6% but we ended up with a 10 point I mean sorry an 8.3%. Yep. So we're still well within the style, but now we're right, you know, right in the middle of the style, which is great. Right. Right. I'm excited about this one. I am too. So let's let's talk about exactly what we're, what we're doing differently. <clears throat> so rather than measure the temperature of water uh, within a, a brew kettle, which has a heating element right on the bottom of it. Yes. Well, in we our decide- case, a propane burner. Right. Right. Uh, what we're doing instead now is removing water from that brew kettle. Um, inserting a different thermometer into in just uh, into just a water pitcher, and taking the temperature off of that, with the intention that we're going to read a high temperature, higher than what we're originally targeting. Say if your temperature that you're going for is say 171 degrees, take it out of the pitcher knowing that it's going to be higher, say 174 degrees, 175 degrees, um, and then just let it settle, let it lower itself naturally just down to 171 and then do your uh, mash infusion from there right and the benefit of doing that is um you're not measuring water that still has a heating element somewhere near it where some where still the activity within the water is going to increase the temperatures right so instead of trying to catch it right as it hits the temperature which is what we were doing originally so we're letting it heat up beyond the temperature and then cool naturally to the temperature right and that way then when we when we hit that temperature we know that it's kind of uniform in the liquid right and then we take that and put it in the mash tun and that's increased our efficiency quite a bit the ideal efficiency for especially for a home brewer is about 75 percent so i think with this you know we're we're consistently hitting between 70 and 75 percent which is right where a home brewer can expect to be Right. You know, with our equipment. Right. So moving forward, um, so you have good efficiency. You have a good, dense, sugar-filled liquid, which is your wort. Uh, moved on to the boil, mm-hmm. as, as one naturally would. and <laughs> Normally, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, the, I mean, the hop, uh, the hop makeup of this beer is very simple. We used uh, just uh, one, pa- one packet of East Kent Goldings and one packet of Fuggle. Um, as it being a very malt-forward beer, the malts are going to be far more present and more forward than than the hops. So your need for hops is not all that uh, not all that heavy. We'll talk about why they're still there in the next segment. Ah, teasing. Oh, <laughs> well done, sir. Well done, sir. So yeah, we did a regular sixty minute boil with this. Uh, we uh, cooled it down. Yeah, we added a packet of uh, Sc- uh, Scottish ale yeast uh, from uh, the folks over at Y Yeast. They uh, they are a go to yeast for us. They do they do really good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's we just let it ferment and then uh, moved it over to secondary because there was a ton of yeast cake and trub at the bottom of this guy. As as it will. As yeah. it will. So we had to move it over to the secondary, let that settle, and then we put it into the keg. And right now it's on uh, 9 PSI of uh, of pressure 
for a little while. Uh, you know, right now the average temperature outside because it's in my garage is about 45 degrees. So that, that'll give it between one and a half and two vols of carbonation. So, Can you clarify for the listeners exactly what that means? It's the it's a measurement of the amount of CO2 that's in the liquid. Okay. So on the low end, so the lower the vols of CO2 you have, the less carbonated the liquid's going to be. So with styles like stout and porter and scotch ale and whatnot, you don't, do not want them to be super carbonated. So we're going for a lower vols of CO2. In this case, between one and a half and two is what we're targeting. When you are talking about your um, more traditional ales or your lagers and whatnot, typically you want them to be more carbonated. So you're looking at the high twos or low threes as far as vols of CO2 in there. So, And what that just means is uh, you sometimes have to turn up the pressure on your CO2 tank and force more carbonation inside of it. Um, in this case, like I said, with our temperature being about f- an average of 45 degrees outside, I need about 9 PSI of CO2 in order to be able to carbonate our beer to where it should be. Okay. Because the lower the temperature, the more CO2 will be absorbed by the liquid. So you do not need as much pressure to force more CO2 in. So here's part of the application of that. If you're storing your keg in a warmer temperature, which is you know an area that's not refrigerated, it's going to require a lot more CO2. Right, which is, I mean, we've pressurized a CO2, uh, a keg at 68 degrees, and we've pressurized, I think, a Pilsner at that, which, I mean, you're looking at somewhere on the order of like 2.8 or 2.9 vols of CO2. That took sure. 30 pounds of pressure to do that. Right. So that we were going through CO2 tanks like crazy. So here's uh so here's a lesson to be had from that. Get a fridge for your keg. Get a, get a deep <laughs> freeze, yeah. Which that, that's the only takeaway you can have for that. You can you pressurize a keg what that's not refrigerated? Yes, you can, but that's what it's going to take. It's going to take a lot of CO2 and a lot of runs to your local, you know, distributor or paintball shop to get some more CO2. Yep. Yeah, I'm excited for the Scotch Ale. Yeah, absolutely. Next one. Next one. We made a sweet stout. Yes. We have done a stout before in a couple of different forms. We did a um, we did a pumpkin pie we did a pumpkin pie <laughs> flavored stout uh, just before Halloween time last year. One that I was very excited about. We also had done a um, a stout in an extract kit uh, previous to this. Yeah, that was the uh, bourbon stout, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, This is one, um, we had a competition in mind for this when we put the recipe together. And this is one um, in, uh, this is one in preparation for a a competition. We wanted to just kind of play by the rules and make make a stout in the most classic sense. One of the things that we learned from our uh, from our first competition, and I was just thinking about this the other day, and this will be a topic for uh, for a future show. Um, George and I had entered two different beers into a particular competition early last year, with two beers that were that were uh, that we had just made. They were some of the first beers that we made uh, using our new all grain uh, equipment. And they were beers that we were really excited about because you know we we're moving forward. You know we're new to all grain. Um, we had these styles that we were really excited about. They were somewhat unique in their in their styles. 
we had entered them into just some kind of quote unquote fitting categories from kind of what kind of how we interpreted the categories, not knowing just kind of how a competition was run. Well, the lesson that we learned uh, from that uh, uh, from that first competition was creative styles aren't <laughs> kind of the ideal um, ideal way to go when you're entering many of these competitions. Um, according to BJCP, the judges of the vast majority of these competitions are going to judge every one of the entries exclusively on the uh, characteristics of that particular style. Which we were, which the beers that we had weren't perfectly fitting. We we were proud of them; they were good beers in our in our opinion. Uh, but they just they weren't the styles that we had entered uh, them for, and as a result, our scores had, had suffered. It was yeah. a bit of a sobering experience, but one that uh, one that we had in mind when we put this together. You know, in, in saying we want to we want a quality score out of this competition, and we want to do this right according to the judges right so yeah creativity is frowned upon and the the idea is that in a competition is to prove that you can make an exact style you can make a lager you can make a strong ale you can make a scotch ale you can you know whatever you're going to enter it as you can make that and you know so there's definitely a place for it but it's one of those things that the beers that we had that we were so proud of we probably shouldn't have entered because they were not fitting in that in that category. Right. We didn't know that at the time. It was a learning experience for us, but we, you know, it's it taught us quite a bit. Right. Right. So, with that in mind, we wanted to make what we what we had interpreted as a classic stout, and we think we've done that. Let me uh, pull up the recipe here real quick, and we can talk more about it. So, we were talking about efficiency in the last uh, segment. We were talking about the Scotch ale. Um, the target original gravity for this beer was 1064, so a little bit uh, hot, uh, less malt forward and less uh, less sugar forward or sugar heavy than uh, than the Scotch ale that we talked about. Um, our grain recipe was complex in this one as well. Uh, we did not have six different grains; we had five, still on the heavy side, mm-hmm. and um, a little bit heavier on the hops. We had three different uh, three different hop additions. Uh, throughout the boil, and um, I guess we'll run down the. Uh, <laughs> sorry, we'll uh, we'll run down the recipe a little bit. Um, we used a uh, Maris Otter as our pale as our uh, as our base malt as our as our go to base malt. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a combination of roasted barley, caramel, chocolate malt, and black barley, which made up our grain bill. And uh, we had hop additions of East Kent Goldings and Fuggle. We had uh, two di- two separate additions of East Kent Goldings. And uh, one packet of Irish ale yeast from, uh, not Y yeast this time, from uh, White Labs. And, of course, the World Flock, because clear beer is important. Yeah, absolutely. And so I I actually ran this recipe by one of our uh, local breweries here. And he said with only minor adjustments, um, it's very similar to one of their recipes. Oh. So, um, you know, the, the stout genre is a very... Um, expressive one. It's it's one that you wouldn't expect expect that amount of expressiveness to it because it's dark beer. 
Right. You know, you just think, oh, I'll just drink a dark beer. I'm, I'm sure it tastes like Guinness. No problem. Um, that's not the case. I mean, there's very subtle variations you can put in there. We used 40 Lovabond. He used 60 Lovabond uh, in the caramel. Um, he used a slightly different version of the chocolate malt. And, you know, and, and, and on its face, it could sound like all that's going to change is the color, but it changes the taste, it changes the texture, it changes a, a few other things as well. And it can develop those beers into two, two beers that have roughly the same ingredients, but taste not dramatically differently, but they, they have different notes and different textures and different um, qualities to them that you would not expect. For sure. For sure. Yeah, the the, uh, the Lova Bond is only one small element of what a specialty grain is going to bring to a grain bill. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I did not know that story until just hearing that just now. I'm, I'm, <laughs> now I'm, I'm, I'm racking my brain just trying to figure out who this brewer is. I have an idea who it might be. <laughs> like, we'll talk off air about that. Uh, yeah, no, we're we're excited about those. Uh, I guess we'll tease the uh, the next one for uh, for the next show. Um, we are uh, we are in uh, increasing talks about a about doing another wheat ale recipe as our as our next brew project. Um, we're gonna flavor a half of it and uh, treat the other half as just a traditional uh, traditional wheat beer or half of bison, as uh, as the other term is. And we look forward to uh, doing that in. in uh, it very soon and having a having a show very quickly to talk about it as well so stay with us we are go- we are going to segue into our third uh, segment we are going to talk about hops it's going to be a all, segment all about hops um just uh, what they are what they do and um and what uh, what works and and what doesn't anything else you can tease there oh i'm sure but let's just uh let's just get right to it <laughs> okay so stay with us So Alter is doing a stout, huh? They did an Imperial. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, it was the first Imperial in a while that I've actually enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have to admit, I, I'm kind of in the same boat with that. I've, I've had some uh, Imperial Stouts over the past several months. None of them did too much for me. Aside I, from what Metal Monkey does, I think a lot of them are just, they're overpowering much, for the man. for the purposes for the purpose of being overpowering they're it's doing like, with without with alcohol what ipas do with hops yes exactly yeah yeah i mean i'm a stout fan as you know as i make no make no mystery about it but you know it's got to be done right yeah welcome back to a nice place to brew i'm jason i'm george let's talk about hops yes let's Okay, let's begin with this. Okay, beer on a fundamental level is four things. Water, malt, hops, and yeast. Now you sound like the Germans. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, uh, we're, we're just going to talk about one of those, and we're going to talk about hops. Um, as, far as, uh, as far as malt of that equation goes, uh, the malt is going to give you your sugary sweetness that makes up the beer. But what's also important is... Uh, the hops, which kind of, and the purpose of hops on a pretty basic level is to balance out the flavors of those. Yeah, to make the make the beer a little bit more bitter, to bring those notes in, uh, and to add some extra dimension to the beer. Um, 
one of the things that they also figured out that hops do though is that it helps it's a preservative it's like salt curing a meat it helps it hold up longer um one of the reasons a whole style exists the india pale ale is because they had trouble getting beer from england to india all those people that were stationed in and you know subjugating india wanted beer from their homeland but they could not get it because by the time it went on the boats from england to india it had all gone bad so they couldn't they couldn't get beer so one of the, they they took the hops that they knew were bittering and and knew took uh you know added a little bit of longevity and just crushed it with hops added a whole bunch of hops to it increased what i don't believe at the time they knew was the ibu they increased that quite a bit and then sent it off and it made it there intact and was a drinkable beer right granted a lot more bitter so you know it's the birth of a whole style called the india pale ale for that reason and you know so hops is a bittering agent as well as a preserving agent let's give a textbook definition of hops as well um and we can kind of build off of that Hops on a, uh, is a definition are natural flowers of the hop plant, homulus, so let's say this right. Hops are, a natu- na- hops are a natural flower of the hop plant, homulus lupulus. This is used primarily as a flavoring and stability agent in beer to which uh, impart bitter, zesty, or citric flavors. Yeah, it, it's a vine that grows, and it, it grows much like other vines do, like you know, bamboo and grapes and uh, you know, other things like that. They they curl around a uh, a post or tree or anything like that, and they grow. And the female plants produce these cones, and the cones are what har- what are harvested in order to be able to uh, have hops. So it's only the female plants that have these cones that we that you harvest and and you you make hops from right right i'm looking at a diagram right now where it uh where it talks about where the bulk of the world's hops are grown and germany's got the crown on this one yeah most of the world's uh hops are grown in germany the u.s uh is uh ranks comes in at a close second and right uh, right below that is ethiopia Ethiopia. So, yeah, so an interesting mix of uh, of countries that make up the uh, high producers of uh, of hops. Yeah, I would not have expected that third one. Yeah. So that that I mean that that makes sense. I mean let's let's be let's be fair to the Germans. I mean they kind they I'm not gonna say they invented beer, but they kind of <laughs> you know put their stamp on it. That so, is very true. Yes. I mean that's part of the reason that there's a whole genre of hops called noble hops. Right. Right and, and noble hops are are typically used for lagers. Another uh, style of beer that had that has its roots in Germany, as so many do, and in 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 our kind of more aroma forward hops and in our are utilized in that and and are considered to be the higher end of what hops or the or maybe not the higher end but the more traditional. Right. So that, it comes out to about five. There's Hollatower, there's uh, Middle, uh, Tenninger, Spalt, and Saz are the five that are considered to be the noble hops that are, that should be used in a lager. Let's go to a brew day. Okay. So you've uh, you've heated up your water, you've done your mash, you've uh, you've laddered your, your, uh, your liquid out of the mash, and you have your wort. 
you're working on the boil and th this is where the hops are going to come into play as your boil this is really the last stage of the brew day and uh, depending on the timing that you decide to add your hops it's going to do different things to the beer yes so your typical boil length is 60 minutes some less some some more mm -hmm. but uh where uh at the timing that you add your particular hops is going to have different effects absolutely and the the type of hop too but we'll we'll get to that in a second but right the, uh, right let's let's talk about the timing though if you uh say uh say during a typical 60 minute boil if you add uh if you do a hop addition 15 minutes into the boil that's going to um that's going to be uh, that, that's going to be a heavier flavoring hop addition, typically. Is that correct? Tip, fifteen minutes into the boil, so you know between you know right around the middle of the boil, yes. But there is there is an addition you can do actually before that. Uh, that is usually done within the first ten minutes of the boil. Okay. On, on assuming a sixty minute boil. Right. Uh, within the first ten minutes of a boil that has very high alpha acids and very high um, oils in in those hops, and that's usually for just for bittering. Okay. So you put those in right at the beginning of the boil, and that's to add those bitter notes that you'll very much find in a in an IB in an IPA and uh, other pale ales and things like that. So those are your bittering additions, and those are really high alpha acids, upwards of like 15% alpha acids. So if you want to make a bitter beer, you're going to have additions that early in the boil. Yes. Okay. So okay. You'll, it'll add a whole bunch of those bitterness, but those oils, if the resins and the oils inside, and the alpha acids are an identifier of those resins, but the oils are sometimes what adds the aroma and the flavors and things. Those get boiled off. And all you're left with is those resins that really bitter the beer. Right. They kind of work like tannins inside of a, inside of wine. Okay. To, to, That's a good a good comparison. Um, not that you know you typically even your drier wines you're going to have more of those tannins and you get kind of that not bitter but tart kind of flavor. Uh huh. Um, it's the same kind of effect in the beer. So moving forward into the boil, there's we've had many recipes that have called for hop additions 15 minutes till mm -hmm. the end of the boil. Or even further down, ten, you know, ten minutes to the end, five minutes to the end. Right. These are going to be more your additions that are going to create an aroma effect for the yes. beer. Yes. Yeah, because those oils don't have a chance to boil off. So usually you do low alpha acids because at that, you know, in the last ten minutes of the beer, you're you're finishing, you're you're not going to be able to boil off those oils, but you're also really not going to be able to absorb those resins all that well. Right, right. You're going to be pulling the liquid the liquid off of those hops far too quickly. So you're going to have um, a, a lot of aroma, but not a whole lot of bitterness and flavor associated with it. Right, right. So. Now there's also a term, and maybe we can uh, go into this a little bit, there's a term out there called whirlpool hops. And, yeah. that's, and that's where you do a hop addition that's just going to settle in... Uh, in the liquid after you've turned off your flame and your boil is done. Mm -hmm. And at this stage, all you're doing is letting this very hot liquid just sit. Right. You're almost steeping the, the hops a little bit. Right. Yeah. I would th and I, I have not done, done uh, pre-research on this, so I'm just going to throw this out. I would imagine the effect of that is 
that's about as strong of an aroma for hops that you can probably create during the uh, during the boil. That is definitely one effect. Yeah, you're 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 also going to add a little bit of those that oil texture to it. Um, not saying you want your beer to be oily, but there, that texture does add a little bit of body and a little bit of uh, you know kind of mouthfeel to that as well. Right. Um, right. One. So so, I mean, you basically have three different stages that you can add the hops in you have your bittering and at the end you have your fl- your uh finishing oh, okay. you also have the the flame out or whirlpool as you said uh-huh. uh, but then right in the middle you have your flavoring hops that you can add those are the ones you usually add on a 60 minute boil you're adding those between like 20 minutes or 30 minutes in Okay, um, and those are kind of mid to mid high alpha hops. A lot of the dual purpose hops that you'll find in there are added for this. They impart flavors based on the type of hop that you use. Okay, so where ones like Citra and Cascade and things like that come into really flavorful hops that um, on beers that aren't going to be super malt forward, and you want them to be well balanced or or a, more hop forward. A lot of those are added in there to be able to impart those flavors. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, and those are good examples to have as, as flavoring. Let, let's uh, let's fill in the other two. Sure. A, a good um, a good example of one that's going to be uh, bittering. A good bittering one. Yeah. Uh, a couple of them are Chinook, Simcoe, Magnum, and Nugget. Okay, and you're going to find those as your early stage yes. hop additions. They're going to be added way early, um, and so okay, the flavoring ones um, because they are more uh, kind of skirt the edge between being bittering and flavoring. The, that's where you'll find usually your dual purpose hops. Your dual purpose hops are going to be your Amarillo, your Centennial, your Challenger, and your uh, Northern Brewer are good examples that okay. they can be bittering hops but a lot of times they're flavoring hops as well okay and moving to the last stage which is aroma hops oh finishing hops some of these are my favorite yeah uh some of these like my absolute favorite hop that would that we use is cascade okay yeah and that's a solid finishing hop it's a versatile hop. it's a very versatile one it's one that we've used in all stages of, of brewing. We've used it as a bittering hop. It's not great there, but we've used it as a bittering hop. We've used it as a finishing hop. We've even dry hopped with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but another one is East Kent Golding, uh, Fogel, and Saz. So a lot of your like more noble hops, because remember, your noble hops are meant for aroma. Right. Are meant for to add to the beer, not necessarily add bitterness. I mean, when was the last time you had a bitter lager? Yeah, good point. So it's meant yeah. to add character and aroma to the beer. Right. So let's talk about types. There's a couple different uh, different forms that hops take, uh, the most common one being pellets. Mm-hmm. And pellets, to many, are kind of the ideal form of hops because... Um, in in the in that stage when they when they hit the boiling liquid, they they're kind of quickly absorbed by by the liquid, and they you know they're in a good place to do their thing. Um, the other uh, the other form that they can take that uh, that people talk about is their is the whole leaf version because mm-hmm. as we talked about before, hops on a fundamental level are a plant. Yes, and they're just when they're when they're picked off of the plant that they grow in, they're they're just kind of maybe a maybe an inch tall um, 
cone, col- cone yeah, or, or a small collection of leaves. And by themselves, they can u- they can be used for um, uh, for for a hop addition. Yes. Um, there's uh, we can talk about advantages and disadvantages of each form, but uh, but one of the one of the things that uh, that can be said early on is being that you're inserting a plant into a liquid. One of the effects that it's going to have is it's going to absorb some of the uh, liquid volume that you have. Absolutely, and that's one of the one of the disadvantages to whole leaf hops and as well as to plugs are they do that they. Um they absorb more of the liquid. Now, plugs, if I remember correctly, are your larger cut pellets for the most part. They are. They're less compacted, larger cut pellets. They retain their freshness longer than than the uh, than the compacted ones. Okay. Um, but they do. They also act more like the whole leaf. And and to be honest, they're a little bit of a pain in the butt sometimes because you kind of have to cut them up. And if you need a certain weight of them, you have to cut it. And that can be hard to do. Right. Um, right. So, I mean, yeah, they come in whole leaf, pellet, and plug. The whole leaf and the pellet are what you're going to see most of the time if you mm-hmm. go to, like, a homebrew supply place. Right. Whole leaf is great because you're less apt to have it get stuck in your equipment. But the downside to it is it absorbs liquid. Right. Just like any leaf, it's going to absorb liquid. Right. The pellet, on the other hand, doesn't absorb a whole lot of liquid. And creates a sludge, <laughs> so which you're going to be sifting through as you as you move your uh, your cooled liquid down to a f- uh, fermenting uh, fermenting bucket or carboy. Correct. So you're going to need a funnel with a screen, right? Um, and you're going to be you're going to be probably emptying that funnel a couple times to get rid of all the hop sludge. Right. Yeah. Well, let's talk about dry hopping. Yeah. Uh, dry hopping is a technique you can use um, after primary fermentation. If you want to add an extra um, extra bittering to your beer, this is uh, this is something you can do. Um, there is I'm, I'm reading here on a on a web page that there is an advantage to using whole leaf hops for specifically dry hopping. Okay, and the explanation they give is because whole hops are minimally processed. More of the volatile aromatic compounds, which is what the brewer is after, remain intact. They will also not sink and gum up your siphoning efforts when it comes time to bottle. Yeah, good, uh, good points all the way around. Yeah. Now we've we've done dry hopping on a couple of recipes of ours. The double IPA being one of them. I've, I remember absolutely. For sure. Yeah, and I think the red ale as well. Yes. Yeah. Now I only remember using pellet form for that, those. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. All right. That's actually all we've used. We've never used whole leaf hops. Right, yeah. right. So I'm testing my memory right now because it's going a little ways back. Ways back. Um, the effect, because you're adding hops to a cooled liquid yeah, at that to point. A, to the secondary, typically. Right, mm-hmm. right. So is the is the cool liquid going to have the same effect on the hops as your as your boiled liquid? Is it is it really going to be well absorbed by the liquid at the cooler temperature? It's not going to have the same effect, but it is going to have that more aromatic effect to it. That's, so it's able okay. to pull those out and to for that to be absorbed. Um, and there's no boil to boil off those oils. Right. So, but that's why you know a lot of times the bittering doesn't happen with the secondary because um, you know that boil is really what pulls those resins out that that really kind of does the bittering. So you're not really looking at your secondary for bittering so much as you are for flavoring or for especially for aromatics. Right. Right. Yeah. 
So, so you're done with the uh, secondary fermentation. You've done your dry hopping. You've uh, you feel good about it. You're about to, about to move it to either a keg or to a bottle. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to obviously remove the hops because that's going to be an unpleasant addition to the beer that you're going to drink. Well, one thing to, to point out about that too is a lot of people when they talk. I know when we talk about sanitation, we keep saying you know we keep hammering over and over and over and over again. Sanitize everything. So how the heck do you sanitize a hop pellet before you throw it in the secondary? Good point. The good news is you don't have to. A hop pellet, you know, and and secondary hopping just does not, it will not affect, infect the beer. As long as when you're putting it in, you're very careful about how much air is exposed and how long it's, uh, it's open, uh, you do not have to worry about the hops themselves infecting the beer. That's not something that'll happen. The hops, remember, act as like a preserving agent. Right. So the by its very nature, it's going to be extremely resistant to bacteria. It's going to be extremely resistant to uh, those kinds of contaminants that you would uh, that you're trying to avoid. Great point. Great point. But you're still going to be digging through sludge as you move it to either <laughs> a, a bottling bucket or into a keg. Our experience with secondary hops is that a lot of times they tend to settle on the top. Okay. And yeah. As long as you don't agitate it too much, you're 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 not going to be dealing with as much. But yes, you're definitely going to be dealing with some hop sludge, and so you're going to be filtering. You're going to be making sure you don't uh, bring that over into the keg. Right. Right. So that is hops. Yeah. One quick note: um, if we can get a little technical on you guys, um, please. There is a couple things. I've mentioned the term alpha acids before. Uh, Alpha acids, the higher the alpha acids, the more likely it is going to be to bitter the beer. So there's a couple calculations you can use to see how much you are adding your alpha acids to the beer and how much it's going to affect the bitterness um, in general. So along with alpha acids, you have a term called IBU or right. International Bittering Unit, which is directly correlated to how much acids you have, how what's your kind of your utilization, as well as how much liquid you have. So a real quick way to take a look at alpha acids is how much are you adding. Your, your packet of hops very helpfully will have your alpha acid percentage on it. So if you are adding one ounce of that hop, you're going to have that many alpha acids. But so when you go to do it a little bit more or a little bit less, that's when you have to do a quick calculation. So if you're adding, say, 1.5 ounce of pearl, which has an alpha acid traditionally of about 6.4, you're going to have an alpha acid figure of 9.6. It's just a simple multiplication calculation of 1.5 times 6.4 is 9.6. That comes into play when you're trying to figure out your IBUs. A lot of times, if you guys are using something like Beersmith or you're using an online calculator, a lot of these things will be figured out for you. Mm-hmm. But if you have an inkling to figure it out, um, here's kind of how you do that. You take the alpha acids times the utilization times 75, and then you divide all of that by, by the volume in gallons. So if you're using a five-gallon batch, you divide that by five. So to give you an example, you have 9.5% with that, uh, 9.6% with that pearl. 
Okay, and that's your alpha. That's your alpha right? acid percentage. Okay. Your utilization, which I'll go over in a second, of zero point one seven six times seventy five, all divided by five, and you end up with twenty five. Traditionally, you round to the whole nearest whole number, so you round up or round down to the nearest whole number, and that's how much IBUs you're adding to your liquid with that addition. And just to kind of color in the IBU scale a little bit more, on your low end of IBUs, a very basic beer that's going to have little to no hop characteristics, you're going to have IBUs of maybe between 5 and 10. Yeah. There is no ceiling on IBUs. So it can go as high up to infinity. Although I've never se- I personally have never seen a, a beer with an IBU that's higher than maybe 120. And even at 120, yeah. you have an insanely hoppy uh, beverage at that point. Yeah. But um, the stout that we made, I think, has a target of between about 25 and 30, which is you know not a very hoppy type uh, beer style. But uh, uh, to color in your say IPA beer type, which is you know no you know very notable for its hoppiness, you're going to see most of those beers come between 65 and 100 IBUs. And if you um, if you frequent any uh, any local uh, uh, tap room or uh, or tasting room or anything of that of, of that of that type of setting, oftentimes uh, IBUs will be uh, will be part of the, either a menu or some kind of display where they have the have the beers that they're serving. Absolutely. So one last thing to note is that utilization table. Um, utilization is a function of the gravity of the beer versus how long it's in the boil. So utilization in a lower gravity beer is going to be higher. In other words, you're going to be able to pour pull more out of that. I don't know why. I'm sure there's some chemistry reason why. But in a beer with more sugars, you're going to have lower utilization. So, um, yeah. Yeah, you're going to have much lower utilization. So it's a function of how long it's in the boil versus how uh how sugary that beer is and there's a table that uh if you guys get i know we've talked about it before the book how to brew uh there's a table on page 58 that is really good at pointing that out and you can see the utilization of it there's calculators online we'll link to a few on our website so you can see that but you're going to end up with a decimal figure you're going to end up with something less than zero Uh in order to discuss utilization right Um, right so the important part here is that you realize that it's not a linear scale. You have a couple factors to look at when you're figuring out how much is my hop going to bitter my beer. And it's a function of time. It's a function of type of beer and, and all that. So you have to take all that into account when you are um, you know, putting together your recipe. Or you just buy a program like Beersmith and you call it a day. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. And uh, and to highlight that one more time, this uh, this this book that George mentioned by uh, by John Palmer, How to Brew. Th- this is maybe one of the more. This is really one of the most comprehensive books out there about um, how to brew beer from the very beginning to you know to a pretty efficient level. It's yeah, it's very solid. So yeah. We'll, we'll give it a uh, give it a high recommendation here on the show. Absolutely. Yeah. That was that was really good. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. And uh, 
Yeah, water, malt, hops, and yeast. And we covered <laughs> one of those. Um, I think this is. I think this is a. I like. I like where we're going with this. I think in future shows, I think we'll uh, we'll cover the other four. Sure. Or I should say the other th- of the three that make up the four. Right. Because there's there's a lot to be said about obviously yeast, grains, and water. If so, you uh, uh, if you want to uh, look up what we're talking about with the, you could either look up the German purity law as you call it, as it's called or the German word for it the Reinheitsgebot, and uh, it was put in place ages ago basically to make sure that people had bread while they were making beer as well but um you'll have way more fun on a nice place to (laughs) brew on the facebook page at nice place to brew or on the twitter page at nice place to brew or on the instagram page at a nice place to brew (laughs) okay yeah i know i'm boring i'm sorry (laughs) so (laughs) also check out our website george did a fantastic job with this It's www.aniceplacetobrew.com and uh, in, as I said before, keep up uh, with our social media pages, and uh, we look forward to uh, future shows and uh, and future topics such as grains and yeast, and uh, and learning other secrets that uh, that George is keeping from me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. We'll uh, we'll see you on the on our next shows, and uh, as we always sign off, takes a lot of good beer to make great beer. And that being said, cheers. cheers.